What's going on, guys? AJ here back again with another episode of the E1B2 podcast with another special episode of Let's Talk Startups with my guy, the man, the myth, the legend, Zach Oates. Uh, this was an amazing episode, guys. There was a lot of stuff that we covered uh, towards the back half of the episode, probably the last 10 minutes or so. I went on another rant around all things kind of employee experience and decided to give a few tips and perspectives at a very ad hoc level. And the first, I'd say 30, 35 minutes, he broke down exactly what he's doing within the world of startups, in the world of food, in the world of restaurants, and how he's really changing the game from a consumer experience perspective from a data perspective, from a, um, you know, finding different ways to really impact uh, the bottom line within the restaurant startup world. Uh, He's doing a lot of great things with Domino's and a lot of other great brands where he's working with companies and restaurants that have multiple chains. Uh, He's a phenomenal entrepreneur, a great operator, someone that's doing a lot of amazing things within the world of startups. And I really love his perspectives on leadership, his perspectives on culture as well. And uh, today's was, was it's a really great episode. I think I think a lot of startup founders will learn a lot from this. I think a lot of operators will learn a lot from this. And I know for a fact, anyone that's loving the E1B2 podcast over the duration of the 250 plus episodes will really love the cadence that we had on today's episode. So um, I think that's it. I'm going to try to continue to keep this a tight intro. Zach, thank you so much. Everyone that's listened and downloaded downloaded the E1B2 podcast. Thank you as well. And uh, enjoy the show, guys. Hello. There you are. How's that sound? All right. It sounds great. Um, and and uh, one thing about this, this podcast is I like to keep everything very, very, very casual. So literally everything I'm saying right now, um, I'm going to keep it all in there. So we're just going to oh, hop nice. right in. Okay, let's do it, man. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I used to listen to a lot of podcasts and I appreciate the, the, the you know, the edits and the, the great sounds and the intros, but um, yeah, that's, uh, it's not necessary all the time. So we're just going to keep it nice and laid back. All right, let's do it. So everything uh, has been well um, in your life. I'm assuming everyone's still healthy. Yeah. You know, it's been, it's been awesome. We, Thought we had COVID for a while, quarantined for 14 days just to be safe. Um, but now we're, yeah, this is just, so last week we finished our quarantine. So okay. luckily everything's good though. And the people in our, you know, in our close proximity who got it, um, thank goodness it wasn't too severe. So it was pretty, pretty mild case of it. So okay. great, grateful for that. Very good. Very good. And, and are you a football fan? You know, I I watch BYU football. That's my uh, alma mater twice. Um and my dad's alma mater and everything, but I other than that, I don't I don't keep in touch. I don't keep in touch with the football scene a ton other than the highlights. You know, I like following I'll follow what the Giants are doing, what the Niners are doing. Obviously, I've got some some good ties there, but yeah. you know, besides besides following those teams in the news. I, I have a hard time watching sports by myself. <laughs> and yeah. my wife, my wife is so uninterested in sports. And so it's kind of funny when she, when she met me. So I, I mean, I guess you and I talked about this, but my dad played in the NFL for 14 years and uh, he, he played for the giants and the 49ers, you know, five time pro bowler, three times Bowl champion. And 
So my my wife just assumed I was like obsessed with sports. And it's so funny because, I mean, I don't think I have watched a single sports game by myself ever in my entire life. I'll go to parties and we'll watch, you know, we'll watch games there, but that's it. That's all mm. I can do, man. Do you, is there is there a little bit of a psychological unpacking that we need to do? Do you think it was the, you know, not to put too much pressure on you, but they no, say, no. they say, um, they say the 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 shadow that you know these professional athletes' children, you know, the the shadow that the professional athletes cast on their children. It's either one of two things: they either attempt to follow their dads or their or their mom's footsteps and inevitably could never climb that mountain or they completely exit the sports space and they're just not interested at all um also you told me that your your size you got from your mom not necessarily your dad correct yeah you know I, I'm, I'm not like a very big guy i mean i'm 6'1 190 okay uh, you could have played something yeah i mean yeah i my, mainly i could have played the piano that was it so i here's the thing when i played i uh i just didn't have that like killer instinct you know my brother he is an athlete athlete through and through you give him anything with the ball and he will be incredible at it um i just i never had that like killer super intense athletic gene in me and i was just i was all about you know socializing and and you know parties and uh i love doing theater i loved arts i loved broadway i loved going to eat good food, but like hitting someone on a football field, just, I mean, <laughs> I never really saw the, the fun in it, you know? It's actually not a very intelligent thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> um. and, and you know what? My dad, so truly my dad really didn't care. He was like, look, you know, my brother played football. And so he went and he coached my brother's football team, helped out there. and But he never, he never pressured me one way or the other. It was always pressure from like friends, you know? And then when I did play football, the thing that was tough was everyone was like, are you kidding me? You're an oats. How did you drop that? And I'm like, well, my dad's a lineman, you know, we're like, (laughs) so anyway, I I never really, um, I never really loved it, but I did, I did really enjoy, like I said, the, the social aspect of things and, uh, and so that's, that's really where I focused most of my attention, um, is on that. But, you know, I, I went to a really great high school where you can play football and be in the play and, you know, play tennis and fencing and, you know, be on the student council and do pottery classes. And like, you could do all of that. And that was, that was cool. Like you never had to worry about a click um going to like I went to a really small liberal arts school and it was it was great it was an amazing experience um and football was not their strong suit in fact in fact they my senior year or my junior year they couldn't even field a football team they didn't have enough enough kids in the entire school to get 15 kids to join the football team oh so anyway that that's why for me, football was always something that it was like what my dad did for work. It was never something that I did for fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but one, one last thing there is my uh, in high school, I hurt my knee playing football. And so I went in to get an x-ray. And when the x-ray came back, it showed there was a big hole in my tibia. 
and they did another x-ray, they did MRIs and everything. And they found out that I actually had a tumor in my tibia, in the bone marrow. And so I had to have a bone marrow transplant and that took me out of all contact sports. So, I mean, I even had to take a year off of like basketball and stuff. They, there was nothing, nothing that I was allowed to do that was even running on hard surfaces um, because of that bone marrow transplant. And, And when the doctor told me, I found out during football season, and when the doctor told me that I wouldn't be able to play football anymore, I distinctly remember my eyes just like welled up with tears and I like started to cry a little bit. And he was like, oh, it's all right, son. Like, you know, you'll be all right. And he thought that I was sad that I wasn't going to be able to play football. And I legitimately was crying for joy because I didn't want to play football so badly, but I didn't want to quit. And so I would rather have had a, a bone transplant, which I got, than than uh, play football. That's so. hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I guess um, so I guess everyone knows now kind of where you come from. So I guess let's let's jump here, right? Tell me um, and let's let's keep this one. Uh, you know, I always joke around with people and say, you know, when I listen to podcasts, I hate the forty-five minute whole background story and only 10 minutes of the real meat. So let's maybe um, tell us uh, in a tight, maybe 35, 40 second perspective. uh, What's interesting to you right now, as far as what you're working on, you know, you know, um, you know, you're an entrepreneur. um, You're someone that genuinely loves food. So how are those two things combining and, and what are you doing right in this moment? And really just who are you? Yeah. So a few, a couple of years ago, um, actually a few years ago now, I started a company called Ovation, which is an actionable guest feedback tool. Uh, one of my customers described it as, he goes, you guys are like if receipt surveys actually worked, mm-hmm. right? So basically we do a simple survey that gives restaurant owners operational insights, instant guest recovery, um, and really data to drive revenue. And, and it works. The beautiful thing about it today is it works with drive through third-party delivery, pickups, online orderings, in-store. So you know how your, how your customers are feeling and you can find and fix those problems uh, instantly. And the thing that's fascinating about what we're doing is, you know, I, I've been really interested in, in restaurants ever since I was a kid. It was my first job um, after my dad retired he invested in a bunch of, you know, uh, retail stores and restaurants and, and seeing that one-on-one customer interaction and seeing the ability that we have to engage with guests and to, to really see how things are going. And, and they, they talk about the table touch, right? When you go to a restaurant, Anthony, you get the table touch where someone's going to come up and say, Hey, Anthony, how was everything today? Right. Mm-hmm. And they're not sitting there going through 30 questions Okay, well, how was the bathroom? Okay, well, how was your drink? Okay, well, were you greeted by someone? It's like, no, they're just gonna say, how was everything? And if it was great, they'll invite you to come back. And if it wasn't great, they fixed the problem. And I don't know why or where all of this, you know, guest feedback, these receipt surveys got so complicated, right? Just ask someone, how was, how was everything? Um, and then what we do is we automate it so that you know, the 91% of people that say everything was great, we automate those people to come back and to leave positive reviews. And for the 9% of people who didn't have a great experience, didn't have a perfect experience, we find out why. And then we drop that right into the laps of managers and in three clicks, they can resolve that concern. And 
for, for us, one of the fascinating things for me is looking at this industry and how this industry has changed and accelerated five years in the last seven months. It mm. has been an incredible rate of change in the, in the food and beverage, the hospitality industry, where technology has taken uh, a seat at the table where before it was kind of like, you know, the, the stepbrother that was like, all right, well, okay, fine. Let's, yeah. let's talk to technology. But now you see technology being fully incorporated into these restaurant concepts. And I think it is a beautiful thing. And for all the bad that COVID has brought to this world, the, the restaurant space will be forever better because of it. And I think that's, that's one silver lining uh, out of this whole thing. And again, not like there's any amount of deaths or suffering that's worth it. But uh, with those things being constant, not being able to change that, um, the fact is that restaurants will be better coming out of COVID. And I think that's, that's a good thing for consumers uh, as a whole. How, how big are you guys now? And I don't mean revenue. I don't like to get that personal. I'm more, I'm more or less talking about uh, employee size, uh, the amount of restaurants you're working with. Uh, how are things going from that lens? Yeah, so we have uh, seven employees. We run a pretty tight ship. Um, and we've got 440 restaurants that we work with in 41 states and uh, a couple of countries. Very interesting. That is interesting. Um, I'm pausing. I didn't expect to hear that. So uh, walk us through how that happened. What, what, you know, what did you, what did you do to enable that many um, partnerships and acquisitions to happen that, that, I mean, you're talking what three, four years. I'm not exactly sure how fast. So yeah. Walk me so we, that. we, we started uh, really full time. Like we kicked the tires in 2017, but March, 2018, you know, I quit my job and went full time into ovation. Um, and it was, you know, for, for us initially, right. It was me out there knocking doors, talking to restaurant owners, understanding the problem, seeing what we can do to help solve it, and then evolving the product. And so now we're not really, we, we do and we love to work with, you know, uh, locations that have one, two locations. Um, but when they come in, it's like, we don't have a sales process for the ones or two, onesie twosies. When they come in on a referral basis, we're happy to help them out, love helping them out, love working with them to, you know, help them get better feedback, more reviews, intercept those negative reviews, fight back against Yelp. But when it comes down to it, it's like we're mainly working with bigger shops, right? We're working with Domino's, with El Pollo Loco. We're working with um, groups like Emergent that has Little Big Burger and Burgers Grilled Right and Hooters. Like we're, we're working with um, brands that really are struggling because they feel like they're flying blind. And what I found is that, you know, here's, here's a little bit of inside baseball. For us, we ended up during COVID, we, we stepped into COVID as being a much bigger tool, right? We stepped into COVID being the, trying to create the single tool for restaurants and retailers for marketing and operations. Yeah. During COVID, we really had to pare things down. And, you know, we do guest feedback for restaurants. That multi-location restaurants, that's who we work with. That's who we service. 
that's our focus is that guest feedback and having such a narrow focus meant that no one actually ended up canceling um, because of our shift in focus. And we were able to increase, you know, who we're talking to and our partnership so much because it is so focused that people are like, yes, now that restaurant experiences aren't happening in my living room, but they're happening in my customer's dining room, right? Like how, how do we, how do we engage with them? How do we still have that table touch? Um, but in their house and that's where ovation came in and and because it is such a narrow focus we were able to really drive those those numbers up and now we we're in incredible pilots we've got some incredible customers um and we feel really blessed for that opportunity and more than anything for me anthony honestly one of our biggest values at ovation is to build value and that's what gets me excited, right? When I show up to work and I know that Ovation is bringing value every single day to our customers, that gets me excited, right? Because if we're not, if I'm not building value, then shoot, I better just go build a paycheck and go work for someone else. I'm, I'm doing this because I'm excited about what we're doing and the problems that we're solving. Being in so many restaurants, why only seven people? Is it because of the tool is automated to the point where there's not a lot of upkeep needed like we you know across the seven employees are you included in that seven or is it is it eight really yeah so no included me yes yeah, so, and so, yeah yeah the two the tool no great question it's because honestly that we set up a system where they get uh the reports of exactly what's going on how it's working what needs to get done um automatically so the nice thing is, is that we're not calling them every single day saying, Hey, is it working? Is it working? Is it working? Like we know the product is working because we get their reports and they get their reports. And then we have a really hands-on approach in the beginning to make sure that we iron everything out. We train everyone really well. And then it's a matter of having like, you know, regular meetings with the accounts. Um, but you know, when one account is, has 25 to, you know, 50, 60, 70 locations. It's not like we're talking to every single, you know, general manager at every location. We're talking, we're talking to corporate and pushing out what needs to get done. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. And, and why not, or you probably have thought about this. Have you guys thought about getting into once, you know, once COVID starts to normalize and restaurants really find their footing, which it seems like the world may be taking a step back, which is really unfortunate. It seemed as though for about two months here, we were taking a step forward. Now cases are spiking through the roof. Now it seems as though restaurants may have to like take a little sidestep for a moment and like, hold on now. So, um, you know, which is not Mm -hmm. great, but assuming, you know, the world gets a grapple on this thing, let's call it, let's call it 12 months from now. Have you guys ever considered, you know, because you have so much data and you're pulling so much information, have you guys ever considered getting into, you know, making either bringing in internal individuals that have the skill or making partnerships with individuals that have the skill to then implement like consulting to start to strategize with these restaurants and solve these problems? Or are these restaurants so massive, like you, you listed off like Domino's and others that, you know, you guys would not be looked at to provide that sort of you know, that, that sort of expertise. 
Yeah, we, we really want to stay a SaaS company, right? Software yep. as a service. And we want that. We, uh, you know, as we see problems and suggestions, yeah, we help them out. But at the end of the day, we are experts yeah. in guest experience. That's, that's been core to what we've been doing. And while we've added other things to it that we've since removed to really focus on our core competency, at the end of the day, that's where we're experts. So as, as you know, when we do our monthly reviews with our big accounts um, and we're going over what's going well, what, what do we want to improve, we're giving them suggestions for guest experience. We're showing them different insights. And at the end of the day, it's like the product, right? The product needs to be the consultant uh, so that we can continue to bring the power of ovation to more and more locations without bringing on an increased expense of always having to throw on a ton more headcount. Now, our biggest, the biggest thing that we want to do is we always want to make sure that our customers feel like we've got their back. And you go and you read our reviews, like every other review pretty much it talks about uh, the product and it talks about the service because we truly do care that we want to look at our, our customers as our partners, because at the end of the day, they're the ones that we will get the best feedback from on what should we build next and how is what we built yesterday going today. And that to me is why it's so critical to have great customer service, not just for the sake of building that relationship and improving their business, uh, but for the sake of understanding that your customers are your best avenue to get product feedback and your, your best avenue to, you know, we have a, a customer board of advisors that we go to with any new feature and we'll give them the specs and we'll walk them through the feature and what do you like, what do you don't like? And we take their suggestions extremely seriously in the final product. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, this is this is this is interesting. This is very fascinating. Um, most um, very important question right here. Um, now answer this question very carefully. You ready for this? Is a big question. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, throughout my career, I've always been known as a guy that is honest and authentic, and I seek, I seek, you know, advice. I seek perspective. I seek ways to try to, you know, fix problems within my own organizations that I run and all the things that I've done. Um, and so when I talk to other entrepreneurs, I'm very fascinated when they seem as though they don't have any problems, right? So here's a very big question to you. And I think, you know, I have a good feeling about you here. So I think you'll be able to uh, kind of rift with me for a moment. This is a new segment of the podcast I'm, I'm actually playing with. The last guest did a great job with this. So no pressure. Um. <laughs> whether uh -huh. it's within your people operations or your your overall operations or just scaling the business at a macro level what problems right now are you trying to wrap your head around that you have not fully figured out yet that we can potentially rift for maybe five minutes on ad hoc on this podcast right now what you know whether they're people operations issues, employee issues, leadership aspects, operations for the business overall, marketing, branding, what are you thinking through? What problems are you trying to solve? Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll make it even more pressure on you. If the answer is zero, then that means you're well on your way to being a $100 billion company and you are the most beautiful, amazing <laughs> entrepreneur that's ever existed. 
<laughs> no, that, that would exactly. mean I'm delusional. That's what that would mean. No, it's like, here, here's a great question. And here's um, what I would say is, you know, the way that I explain a startup and the way that I explain a company, it's like a house. And you look at the front of the house and there's it's beautiful trimmed grass. There's a great, you know, uh, driveway coming up with a fountain in the front. There's someone there to greet you with a, a cool glass of lemonade and a, and a warm towel to, you know, that's been lightly pressed with essential oils. That's what it's like in the front of the house. Now in the back of the house, it is burning, right? The backyard is always on fire, man. There's always something. Now the, the, the point of being a, a good CEO in my mind, it's not to put up a facade, right? It's to make sure you're celebrating those things that are going well. And then what you do is you make sure that the fires never get to the house, right? There's always fires that are going to be burning. You could be Amazon or you could be a two-day-old company and you either have fires or you don't know that your backyard's on fire. So, in, you know, yeah, with was, your question, I was say, don't, my thought don't is, you, you know, sidestep me, Zach, here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, so one of the things, one of the fires that we're working on right now that I've been focused on especially in the last couple of weeks is marketing because with us, we have given it the old college try, but we've never really sat down and focused on marketing internally. We tried to outsource it three other times and it hasn't mm -hmm. been super successful. And so now that's one of the things that I'm taking on is how do we get people to come in as leads and how do we nurture them along the right path? We've tried Facebook ads, but with Facebook ads, it's really a lot of like the onesie twosies. And as I said, that's great when they come in, but we're, we really have built a product for, you know, multi-location mm -hmm. deals. And so Facebook hasn't been extremely successful for us. Um, we are working on eBooks now that we've seen some more success in, and we're, we're starting to play around with LinkedIn ads. Um, but then building that funnel, that marketing funnel is my, you know, big project for the rest of the year. And that's the thing that's like top of my mind uh, every single day is the marketing. Because we've been, we've been growing so much just from referrals and talking to customers. And, um, and so that's, that's why we're really focused on the marketing aspect of things. Are you, are you staying away from content, collaboration? Um, connector type marketing. So what I mean by that is, are you staying away from starting a podcast, starting a YouTube series, starting, um, you know, starting your efforts of building out your own personal, I don't want to call it brand, but your own personal kind of backend connectors, uh, you know, building relationships model, which I'm sure you already have organically, but putting some intentional effort on those things. Is that not as interesting to you as, some of the other ways that you just mentioned? Well, and I will say, so here's, here, I'll give you the two, the two things that we do, or three things that we do pretty regularly. One is every Monday, I send an email out. We've got an email list of, you know, five, 6,000 people that every Monday I'll send out an email with like, hey, here's some tips and tricks and ideas for the restaurant guest feedback space. Um, I do a weekly podcast. We're up to episode almost 70 mm -hmm. now that we've recorded. 
and we post on social media uh, on the podcast. Who's so like, bringing on? We're we're bringing on vendors and restaurants who you know of multi location. So either they have to service multi location restaurants or they are a multi that you're already working with or you want to work with. Um, I was going to say both. Actually, obviously, the no brainer like, that probably is already going through your head is one of the easiest ways, right? Would be to reach out to those that you want to work with. They're definitely not going to say no to a podcast. Almost no one does. And then that's the way that you can build that, build right? that, that emotional glue and that connection, right? So, what do you do? How do you make it authentic? Because a lot of these things, there's, I truly do have two motivations, right? One is. I want them to share with our listeners um, ideas to like help their help that other brand, help our listeners to mm-hmm. improve their restaurants, regardless of if they use Ovation. But then two is I also want that guest to, to, to think about giving Ovation a shot and to running a pilot with us. Um, so what do you think, what do you think would be a good way to transition in an authentic manner from Hey, I want you on the podcast to, Hey, I also want you to. So I'll be very transparent with you. I'll tell you exactly how, right. Cause this is the exact same model that I'm doing. Right. So, you know, with, with my core three brands right now, I look at things in in a couple of different ways. I have direct partners and you probably have the same models in your, in in your, in your uh, corner of the world. Right. So for me, direct partners would be a venture capital firm. A direct partner would be, potentially an angel investor, a uh, direct partner would be um, a boutique recruiting firm that focuses, uh, that, that wants to focus on employee experience, but doesn't have it in-house. Thus we can come in as a collaborative partner. And then the list can go on and on of like direct collaborators. Right. And then I look at like connectors. Right. And so when I reached out to you, what, what did I say? I said, and, and you along with a lot of other people, right? Like I look at I look at a lot of people that are touching the startup space as connectors, meaning 99.9% of the reason why I wanted to learn from you and speak with you on this podcast is to give whatever you're working on light attention and to literally give you a platform and to build context and glue with you. Um, I then, whether it's you or so many other people, I then probably four to six times a year will come directly to you and ping you and try to build relationship and glue. And this is the first chance I have to do that. And so I guess for you, what I'm thinking is right. Like if you were to bring him onto the podcast, the entire episode, 99.9% of that content needs to be all about them. And I think that's a no brainer for you, but I think what it really gives you an opportunity to do yep. is to start building that connection, right? Start building that glue, start building that camaraderie. You now have their phone number, your email, whatever the case is. Not to not to like send them an email, not to bug them, but now you have an opportunity in a platform to start asking questions that you secretly want to know, just to kind of understand and unpack if they're gonna be the right type of partner, if they have the right type of values, if they have the right type of problems that you guys could potentially solve. But throughout the entire time, you're focusing Again, 99.9% on them. I think for me, why this is such an mm-hmm. interesting strategy that has worked tremendously in my career is that if you focus 99.9% on them, if you're bringing them to the platform and talking only about what they're excited about, you now have an opportunity to now have a direct relationship with them where the other things that you're doing are more direct sales rather than relationship, right? Um, 
And so I think how you transfer that is, and this is not rocket science, I think you just ask, right? I think I think once you have them on the podcast, you bring them back for a post-podcast conversation. How did you like it? Is there anything you want us to edit out? Like you do that whole thing. And these are things that I do. And then, and then you really just go for the ask. You're like, I really enjoyed the episode. I really enjoyed the value you brought. Um, I would love to see if there's, an, you know, and then you just go for the ask. Now, the key though, and you probably know this, again, this isn't rocket science. The key is to make it 99.9% about them throughout the entire episode. The key is to build that emotional glue throughout the process of trying to get them onto the podcast. And then the key is, which is not rocket science, being comfortable with the opportunity and the fact that they may not want to go down that path with you. But I think my gut tells me, and this is probably not the greatest answer, but it's just the reality of how life works. My gut tells me if you have an hour to talk to someone, build that emotional glue, get to know how they think, my gut is you would then have a few ideas and strategies that are more thoughtful on how to actually in insert yourself into their business model a little bit more empathetically than you probably would have before if you never brought them onto the podcast at all, right? So it's, it's just yeah. a, it's a, no, secret. Totally. It's a secret. I like that. Not even a secret. It's just a way, I believe, throughout my experience to kind of get a little bit more of an understanding of how they think, what their problems are, and the way that they work and who they are. Because then you can make a more empathetic, strategic plan on the back end. And, and let me just speak to the world, because I have had a lot of couple of people on my podcast that has actually pushed against me. And let me just get, come on the record here for a, Zach, uh, a moment, Zach, and say this. This is not, you know, yeah. this is not a bad thing. This is not like uh, like a like some people think it's like this snake oil salesman, like weird thing. It's nothing. This is this is exactly what you would have done if you were to bump into a restaurant owner that has 84 locations. At a, at, a, at, a, at a local happy hour. It's the exact same thing you would do. You would sit there for an hour. You would talk. You would get to know who they are. You would build that emotional glue. You would get to know their context. You would get to understand how they think. And then what would you do? You would then have their number. Maybe you grab the number. Maybe you grab their card. Maybe you have their email. And then you would realize, you're like, oh, my gosh, they're the exact target demographic that I want to work with. It was a great conversation. He was a nice guy. Let me just ask. That's more authentic than trying to do an ad or trying to directly go at them. Um, so I just need to go on the record, I guess, to add context to the tip. And then also for those that think this is kind of like a, it's not a negative thing. Bait. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, and here's the thing, right? It's not a bait and switch. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I don't like it when I feel like I've been bait and switched. you know, like everyone who will come on and will say, um, you, like, for example, I'll have people ask me when I invite them on the podcast, like, well, before I decide Zero. how much does it cost to come on your podcast? Because what happens is so often is people will have people on their podcast, they'll invite them on, they'll make them feel all special. And then they'll be like, all right, well, you know, there's just a production fee this of really you know, $1,200 in order to be on the podcast. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Or people will say, hey, your company's been nominated for XYZ award. You just have to pay $1,200 for us to write, write up a little uh, article about this it. Happens, and then we'll, we'll give you the award. It's like, okay, well, oh my gosh. I get hit up probably three, four times a month about different awards that Ovation has been nominated for that they will receive if 
So they this, pay so a this fee. organic thing it's that like, I'm doing with you right well, now <laughs> is actually starting to become rare in this world. Uh, I mean, I guess so, because I never, for me, it was like, I had the same intention as you, which is there are people who have great content, great experience, and I want to get them on and learn from them and talk to them. And shoot, if uh, I know that Ovation works for multi-location restaurants, I know that it works because we do pilots and we let people test it out. And guess what? If you do a pilot with Ovation, you become a customer. We have almost a hundred percent track record on that because once people use Ovation, they're like, yes, why haven't I been using this yep. the entire time? It makes sense. And that's the, that's the, uh, what we're looking for. But at the end of the day, because I've been hit up and because I know how frustrating that bait and switch is, I always try to, uh, you know, and like you, I try to be a really authentic person and I try to, um, be real with people. And yeah. so, so I assuming, never wanted to come across. So that I was going to say, I'm assuming the, based think, off of the original question you asked, you probably have had a few people that, um, are in your demographic, but you've always been a little bit like you've been wondering how, you know, I don't want to come off negative. I don't want them to think that this is a bait and switch. I genuinely want to learn from them and create a lot of great content, but I also want to actually work with them as well. I think, you know, exactly. and, and, this, is, and yep. this goes back to skill and getting to know you a little bit here. It seems like you have that skill. I also think just knowing you and knowing kind of what you're trying to do, it's the same thing as me. Like, I hope you think that I'm somewhat of a decent guy and I hope you're having a nice conversation right now. And if I reach out to you three times yep. a year that says, hey, I really would love it if you have anyone in your network that is building something great that maybe has a staff of 40, 60, 100 people. Maybe you know a little bit about me now. You, you, know, I, you know, maybe there's an introduction you can make. If not, it's no issue. I would love to bring you back for a part two. It's, it's, a, it's a natural... I, I just think I think people in the marketing and branding space put too much automation or too much, you know, transaction into things where we need to get back. What we're doing right now is how it used to be done years ago. You know, I reach out to you. Mm -hmm. I see you at the bar. I see you in life. I see you in the street. Let me get your business card. Have a nice hour conversation. You I realize that you're probably you probably know someone or you're doing something that is interesting to what I want to do. And then guess what, Zach? It's the same thing for me. Because now, now that I'm doing things, I may, I may start to work with a restaurant that has 60 or 50 employees at a certain location that works well for the, the culture building and the things that I'm doing, but they have like nine or 12 or 15 locations. And I'm like, oh shit, I know about Zach. That's interesting. So it, it, it's the way that real <laughs> life works before this marketing world started taking over. And don't get me wrong, all the other marketing things are great and it, it really allows companies to scale. Um, but I do think there's a place for this type of organic thing. So that's why, so that's interesting. That's, that's something you're, you're pondering. I don't know if that was helpful. No, I love that because at the end of the day, it's why do so many business transactions take place on the golf course or, you know, especially in Scandinavian countries, the sauna, right? Well, it's because, that's yep. where you have time to sit down and talk. And it's not like I'm sitting here doing emails while I'm on this podcast with you, right? Like we're, we're engaged one-on-one. -on -one and I think that this is like a, 
a virtual golf course because it does require us to both be fully engaged in a conversation to be thinking how do we and i think we both come at this with the perspective of how do we bring value to each other to listeners and i think when you have that perspective uh good things happen but at the end of the day no. there's nothing wrong with the ask right i think that i think you had a good point there which is it's about um making sure that it's authentic and 99.9% about them and you know getting to know who they are because for example so i have um one of the topics that we had chatted about last time was the fact that I wrote a book about dating and the, the -hmm. book is called dating never works until it does a hundred lessons from a thousand dates. So I went on over a thousand dates before I got married. And one of the things that one of the chapters in there, it's about how to have a great first date. And so many things in dating translate into everything else because it's not really about dating. It's about humans and it's about how do humans want to feel? How do you build relationships with humans, be it a customer, an employee, a business partner, a prospect, a, you know, whatever, um, or heck a first date, right? It's all about this human desire to feel important. And so I, I talk often about how, on a great first date, um, the pursuer should yep. really only talk 20% of the time because the pursuer is the one who's going to need to decide, do they want to go on a second date? Um, and for that pursuer to decide, they got to figure out if they like the person. And the only way you do that is by actually listening and by asking questions. And so I feel like regardless of your circumstance, um, as long as you are authentically and genuinely interested in learning about or building value for the other person, there's a, there's yep. good reciprocation there. And, you know, good, good karma does come back. I mean, we recently had a client where we knew we couldn't do what they wanted to do. And so, you know, we said, sorry, you know, we, we don't do that. Um, well, at the end of the day, they realized when they went down the strategy to do what they wanted to do, that it really was about the guest feedback and the guest experience. And so they came back to us a few months later and were like, Hey, can we set up another call? Like we're ready to get going with you guys now. And that's the type of thing where when you do the right thing consistently, I feel like good things happen. Um, And if you do, if you do the wrong thing to go for the short term gain, sure. You may, you may get the win that day, but, the cost of those wins, in my opinion, is way too so, great. So everything you're talking and, about takes yeah. me into like kind of the, the last part of the section that I, I wanted to start talking about. Um, kind of back to our conversation where like 99% of this, I really wanted to make sure I really understood who you are and what you're working on, but you're a business owner, right? And so something that, you know, outside of, back to kind of the parallel of this conversation, outside of me hoping that you think I'm somewhat of a decent guy and me hoping that at some point in the duration of me starting this brand, you may be able to provide an introduction or two. Something I'm also fascinated by is, you know, your perspectives on what it is that I do because I want to learn, right? Like what we're doing here um, at the E1B2 Collective, whether it's Beyond Brand Studios, whether it's Project 2030, whether it's Startup BX, everything we're doing is around not only leadership, but really operationalizing employee experience at that startup and small business level. You have a startup, 
you are and, and I, yeah it, it's still a startup right i mean that's what the way you would define it um you have a startup oh, yeah, right now for sure you are a leader and so for us it's also important to really understand how they're seeing and how they're unpacking and how they're analyzing a couple of things so a couple couple last kind of rapid fire questions for me so um what you were just talking about was kind of correlated towards like you know great one-on-ones and talking 20% of the time and asking a lot of questions, you know, how are you thinking about that since you only have so many employees um, slash how are you thinking about career mapping? Cause I want to provide a tip or a perspective or just riff with you for a moment about those things. So how are you structuring your one-on-ones um, by asking a lot of questions and just, at an ad hoc moment, if you can remember, like what are one or two of those questions that you're asking and what are you hoping to get out of those questions? Yeah, well, at first is we, the first thing I always try to do to answer that question in terms of one-on-ones is I start off with how's life. Um, that's how I start off just about every single one-on-one, how's life? Because I want to know how things are going all around. If things at home aren't good, yep. it's hard to make things great at work. You know, it, it carries over. If things at home are great, then that carries over as well. And so um, not like everyone has to divulge any personal information they don't want to, but I just want to know because I, I want to see if there's anything I could do to help out and for um, and I want to see what's on their mind. And a lot of times that will kind of spark conversations to go one way or the other and i let that go as it will and uh but a lot of times what i'll do too is i have a little note um i have a google doc and i'll take notes during these one-on-ones and then if anything comes up in between one-on-ones i feel like oh this would be a good one-on-one topic maybe it's a new goal that they're working towards maybe it's uh, a question about a specific customer um Mm -hmm. i'll make a note of that to bring up during the one-on-one so that way we can we could chat about that as well. But obviously, for me, first things first, I want to know how they're doing personally. Um, and if there's, you know, sometimes it's good just to talk because at the end, you know, I, I truly do care about the people I work with. And I, I want to make sure that they're happy and ovation um, can contribute to that happiness. But it's it's not the some them bone them, right? Like they need, they need stuff outside of work. And to me, I, I love learning about people's passions and hobbies. So anyway, yeah, that's how I structure my one-on-ones start off with how's life, have my notes that I take and I have it at different intervals for each person. Some people I have one hour every other week. Some people it's once a month. Some people it's half hour every week. Uh, we decide what that structure is and then you also asked about employee mapping we're still pretty early in the sense that you know we're bringing people on to be future leaders uh we're not bringing a lot of yes men on um we're bringing on people who want to have who have ideas that want to implement them and want to take leadership roles and so we're letting people come in and and help us build yeah into their career as opposed to saying here's a career mapping because 
honestly, we don't have career mappings. We're, well, I'll tell you we're this, pretty uh, small. A tip, you know, <laughs> a tip that's adding on to what you're already doing well, because I heard nothing there that I would I would fix or adjust. I would just continue to build off of that. Um, you know, for us, our main focus is is your size and up, right? So from idea where you have six, seven, 12, 15, two people, even though you guys are much past the idea, you guys are doing great work all the way up to about two, two fifty. you know, a couple things that just to add on to what you are, you, you're already doing. I think from a career mapping perspective, something that I think is incredibly interesting that is key is as you, and maybe, I don't know if you have a partner or a fellow executive or two, you know, as you guys are thinking through, and you should be, and you probably are thinking through the next, you know, the, the, the next frontier of roles that are going to be needed, right? That workforce planning is something that I think a lot of startups uh, tend to come a little late to the party on because they think it's so, they think it's such this like airy brainstorming, not realistic thing. And I actually think it's worth doing. I remember um, for a couple of companies that I was actually an employee of the last four or five years, because I just jumped back into entrepreneurship. I would very much say, you know, what are going to be the roles that we need if these inevitable goals that we have are met? And I, and, and I find that when you when you kind of play that out and you strategize that and you understand that and you understand the competencies that are needed, I find that to be very clarifying and very interesting. And so then when you come back and you want to have those career mapping conversations with your employees, they're not as so broad. They're actually uh, legitimate to, to where the company's going. But here's what I would also add on to that, I guess, tip and building onto what you're doing. And you may have heard this. You may not have heard this. You may think this is crazy. It's something that we do that some people kind of look at me like, like I'm weird. You know, empathetically living into what your employees want to do should, for me, always be the goal and try to find a way for that world that they want to live in. How can that happen here? Right? So, for instance... You know, if you have someone that is mm-hmm. on account services and, and is doing X, Y, and Z, I don't know exactly what that potentially would mean for your company. But during a one-on-one, you out of nowhere realize that they really want to get into like, I don't know, they really want to get into like podcast production or they want to get into like graphic design. They want to just completely switch their their path. And you know, based off of your workforce mapping and your plan and what you're going to need down the road, that those those aspects are going to be incredibly important to you. Like you may want to really scale out your podcast function. You really may want to scale out some of your LinkedIn ad and Facebook ad functions. So maybe graphic design and understanding how to run Facebook ads is something that's interesting to them. Like I think starting to bring them into the fold, even though those needs are not necessarily here at the moment, I find that to be very interesting and not having any ego around what you need them to do in real time living into where they want to be in the future and trying to play a nice balance between the both. Um, I see a lot of startups mess up by, I guess, double downing and triple clicking on what they need out of the employees since they're so scrappy and not living into where the employee wants to be. So I kind of like think of it like a nice 80, 20, like we're scrappy. We need you to do this. That's about 80%. But we know in the future what you want to do is actually going to make sense for what we need to do. So let's start to dabble and play with the other 20%. Um, I find that to be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's, that's a good way to think about it. Cause I think 
for us, what we've done is we put down, here's our, here's what our company looks like at 50 people. Here's who's in it. Here's what that, what those roles are. And that is something that we've talked about with everyone. Um, and we're always looking to make sure that we can, you know, fit people because at the end of the day, you want to get a players and like my brother, right? He's an athlete. He could play well anywhere. And those people are, are just golden for, for like a high school where they can play multiple sports. And that's what it is for a startup, right? You want to get those, those business, business athletes in and make sure that you're putting them in a place that's keeping them excited. Uh, Cause if not, then the performance level is going to decrease. And even if you can, I think that you're, you get a great point, right? Even if you don't have that role today, letting them know, Hey, here's a role that we want yep. to have. Can you start doing this for like one hour a week and just start dabbling in stuff and um, see, see the engagement yeah, increase. I love that. idea. It's um, a great, great idea. You know, I think, yeah. From what you told me, I think you guys are doing great work. And uh, I guess, I guess the last thing that I'll say, and then please let us know, any last final words about what you guys are doing, where people can find you if at some point in the next six months to 17 years of this podcast being in the exist- existence, if there's ever, you know, uh, an employee or even an owner of a, of a restaurant that inevitably will listen to this, what, what you may want to say to them and, uh, you know, for them to reach out to you and work with you and things of that nature, I would love to hear that. But I guess before that, I think, you know, I think for me, the only thing I would love to, I'm, I just, I'm trying my hardest to share with any founder and any leader is just to remember that ego needs to be the, 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 the value that you have within your body. That is, that is least. I see a lot of startups between that seven to 50 ish person range are so double, double downing and triple clicking on what's so important and, and what's so priority that they have to also realize and be grateful that they're looking at those seven, those 15, those 20 employees that have actually took, taken a chance as well in their careers. One thing that a lot of founders don't realize, which is the reality is mm-hmm. still in today's world, still in 2020, the unfortunate reality is saying that you did X, Y, and Z at your company or, or another startup company does not hold as much weight as it would be at another bigger, larger, more traditional organization if they were ever to go and try to get more of that plushy, legitimate job. And so they're actually taking, based off of the data, they're actually taking a risk as well. So there needs to be a thoughtful level of empathy knowing that reality. And so when you have them trying to find any way possible to make their work day-to-day easy and empathetic to the way they see the world is a very, very important factor. Um, I just want to keep hitting that home on every single founder that I'm bringing on to these new series of episodes that I'm doing. Um, and uh, that's uh, about it being the old man on the rocking chair here, trying to bring some advice. Um, no, a- amen. It's all about, I feel like it's the spirit of gratitude, right? Always making sure that you know that no one owes you anything. And you it, it's our opportunity to be grateful for things that uh, are the people in our lives a thousand percent 
Where where can they find you? Where can they reach out yeah, to you? Especially any multi-location restaurant that is uh, tired of flying blind, that wants to know how are customers feeling because not just in your dining room, but in their living room, wherever your food goes, that's what we do. Um, check out ovationup.com where you can find tips, tricks, ideas. We have a great blog. We have a podcast called Give an Ovation where we interview industry thought leaders to give their ideas to improve your business. And like I said, give it a shot. Call us up. Let us know what we can do to help out. Pilot it. You know, give it a taste before you pay for the food. We have a little bit of a different strategy, but it works because the product works. So find us at ovationup.com. I appreciate this, brother. Likewise. This was a great appreciate it, Anthony. Okay. Bye-bye. We'll talk soon.